Let's open God's word this morning to Acts 13, 1 through 3. That's where we'll be reading from this morning, and we'll stand and read that in a moment. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Um, as we've been going, kind of to catch us up, so we're in this series, Hero Maker, and so let's just catch up a little bit. The series progress, where have we been? We have one more week after this week. So, so the first week, we went through multiplicational thinking, investing my life in others to maximize my impact for God's glory. The second week, we went through permission giving, speaking truth into others to help them act upon their faith. Third week, we went through disciple multiplying. This was last week, committing my life to multiplying my faith in others. And then this week, week four, gift activating, maximizing my giftings to be used fully for the purposes of God. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there's this great movie series that I've, I'm very fond of, and some say that they're not all the greatest. I think they're all wonderful. It's the, the Bourne series. Anybody watch Jason Bourne? Uh, okay, really good. Um, it's one of those, like, whenever they're on, you just watch it because you should, even if it's late. And so... Um, <laughs> So if you don't know the story, so there's this guy named Jason Bourne, and the first series, you kind of find he's, he's sort of disillusioned, he has amnesia, he, he doesn't know where he is, he doesn't know what's happening, he's walking through a park, and all of a sudden this guy goes to attack him, and he just like straight beats him up in like 1.6 seconds. And then he steps back and he's like, I don't even know what I just did, like what just happened, right, this moment. The, the whole series is him coming back to memory. Everybody with me here? So everybody's, he's coming back to, to his, his memory. And I, I think this is a little bit, just if I could, relate the Christian faith to Jason Bourne. Uh, it's, it's like this. That, that I think for all of us, there's, there's a bit of this thing. When, when our gifts are activated and we begin to move into them and move into the place and the space that God made us for, there's just something, this, this innate response that, that I'm, I'm doing things in a way that I, I bring life. I don't feel exhausted by this. I, I, feel, I feel like there's just a well springing up in me. There's, there's this activity that's happening that are almost just natural to me that I've never experienced before in my life. And I believe that every person in this room has gifts that God wants to activate to the fullness of, that, of, the, of your potential for the kingdom of God. And so in this text that we're going to read this morning is an example, it's an instance that's pretty significant for the mission of God and global missions where Paul and Barnabas, their gifts are activated at the church in Antioch for the work of the Lord to the ends of the earth. So let's stand together this morning in reverence and honor of reading God's word, Acts 13, 1 through 3, and I'll read as you listen. Follow with me. Acts 13, 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which is Herod the Great, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Father, would you reveal to us all the truth that you have for us in this text? Lord, we believe that your word is truth. We believe it's worthy of responding to in obedience. Lord, we believe your, your word displays you in the fullness of who you are and how you work in this world. Lord, work in us, teach us today, help us to respond. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
You may be seated. So as we, we look at this text, there's, um, there's multiple truths that we just kind of can see. Now, one of the things about the church in Antioch is the church in Antioch is rare. There, there's been books written on this. It's the Antioch effect. It's this, this church that had a rare position in time and history for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. It was a church that, that believed, that supported, that went after things that not every church in that era and that time went after there was a godliness that was amongst it. There was this listening and this attentiveness to the spirit of God. So there's a truth inside of this as we look at church history that some churches listen closely and some do not. Some churches act in radical obedience to what Jesus has asked and some do not. Now, I'm not here to point out the churches that do or don't. That might be inappropriate, right? Okay. I got some names today, some church in our community that I don't think do that. I'm not, that's not it. I think for us, it's basically this, like, is this our aim? Because every church just has to make a decision of what are we going to go after together? And I think if we aimed at being something like the church in Antioch, we would hit a pretty, pretty great target if we were like this church. And so in this text, what we see are some so there's a culture, there, there's, there's a way in which this church acts that defines to us a little bit of how we as this church and how we as the church, people of God, can act. So let's look at these four things that we see in the text. So first, they had uncommon bonds with unlikely people. Uncommon bonds with unlikely people. And so in verse one, there's a list of names. And those lists of names we typically just go by because we can't really pronounce them. And so we make up their pronunciations and we just move on. That's what I just did. And so, so the church and the leaders, we see this. So the, so the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, it says in verse one. Prophets, one who speaks for God at times in futuristic terms. And so a prophet may be saying, this is what is to come if you don't obey God. In Old Testament, we see this often. And even in the New Testament, we do. But, but here, maybe an understanding of maybe this church that was full of people that were walking intimately with God, their, their, their prophetic gifts were activated. They, they knew the authority of God's word and they could speak in such a way that was cutting and timely for the hearers. And so maybe another way to say it, a prophet was that they gave a word of edification and of direction. And so this church had many prophets who were giving words of edification, meaning the building up of the saints and, the, the, and, and direction that as we're being built up, this is how we ought to move forward in living out God's ways. So second, there was teachers. These were those that held the gift that holds great weight. There's a responsibility and maturity needed in order to be a teacher of God's word. We see that clearly illustrated through scripture, but it also says that those who teach will come under greater judgment, meaning that there is a weightiness to this role in the church. So also, so there's these prophets, teachers, and then it gives some names. Lucius of Cyrene, teacher in Antioch and leader. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great and uh, Herod the, or you could just call him Herod the evil, I mean, a very, very intrinsically bad man. He's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. He was a very, very evil, wicked man. And so in this, and so when it says he was a lifelong friend, actually, it, it was like a, a brother of some sort. They were almost familial. They were raised from the same mother is the idea of, of that. 
And so there was, and then we also have Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas, right, the son of encouragement. Saul, the apostle, he was a man that was in the Sanhedrin. He was persecuting Christians. He was kind of the religious elite. He was literally uh, on the road to Damascus, confronted by Jesus himself. Paul was saved, and he began to be a radical Christian for the glory of God and the mission of God to move forward in this world. And here, what we're going to see is when Paul is kind of unleashed, his gifts are unleashed on the world. And so in this, what we see is a bunch of people that were from different socioeconomic spheres, from different racial backgrounds, from all kinds of different places and faces in society, they were gathered together. And this is just this small snippet of who they are. So I believe that in this, we see that in the church, we can have family with very unlikely people, people that we wouldn't have typically been close with. Anybody experienced that in the church and in life? There's people that you become connected with that you never would have before. I've become friends with people that have different likes and different dislikes than I have, but we have a common bond. And what is that common bond? That common bond is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can say that I, all through my Christian life, some of the people that are closest to me, no one would have ever paired us together in life. But in Christ, God has paired us together for his good purposes. So we're connected to God, deep connections to come that come through mission and purpose. Second thing that we see is that they are unified through common disciplines. So uncommon bonds with unlikely people. Second, unified through common disciplines. So the unification happened in this. They were, it says that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting and praying in verse 2. They were worshiping the Lord, fasting and praying. So worshiping the Lord, fully connecting with him. Now, understand that the word worshiping here doesn't necessarily mean music, but it might mean music. Music is just a part of worship. Worship is really a lifestyle, a way in which I constantly am bowing myself low, lifting Jesus high, and living my life. Life in a posture of worship of the one true God. And so in living in this way, they were fasting. This was a posture of expectancy and neediness, consecration, meaning living without food, living without, without things in order to push and press in closer to God. And they were praying, communion with God in a prolonged manner. And so as they were doing this, something was happening in their midst. And let's not read too fast over that because this is super important. What if... Just propose this. What if, what if we believed when we gathered together that we were really speaking to God? I know that might sound like judgmental that we don't, but, but what if when we all gather together every time we're singing songs of worship? It says when two or more are gathered that, that he is in our midst, meaning that right now, today, He's with us. He's here. He's not distance. He's not some God that's still on a cross. He's resurrected on high, coming down through the power of his spirit to meet with his people. What, what if when we sang, we believed that we were speaking to the one true God? All of us. What if in our lives that we believed that he was so important to us that we took regular practices of living without the pleasures of this world to say, God, you are the greatest pleasure of our heart. What if we were so connected and surrendered that prayer wasn't something we did at mealtimes and bedtimes, but something that was a regular practice of every moment of every day? 
reflexive, muscle memory, constant. What if we were surrendered, adequately decreasing in our own values and our own selves so that he might increase in our lives and come out of us in everything that we say and do? So they were unified through common disciplines. They worshiped, they fasted, and they prayed. Now, I do not believe that we can create certain formulas to make God act. But I do believe that when you fast and when you worship and you pray, strange and wonderful and awesome and unbelievable things happen when God moves in his power and the supernatural happens. And then maybe if the supernatural happens so much, the supernatural might just become the natural posture and the way in which we see things. And I sort of believe that was true for the church in Antioch. The supernatural was normal for them. Maybe that's why Paul and Barnabas would listen when the leaders said, you need to go. And we affirm what God has said and called you to do. The third thing that we see, so third thing we see is they were willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. So first, uncommon bonds with unlikely people. Second, unified through common disciplines. Third, willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. So the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Apostle Paul. Holy Spirit said, so just so we're clear, if the Holy Spirit says something, you should always go after that. We should always go after that. And that is not something that you hear alone, but it's something that we hear together. Say that again. It's not just something we hear alone, but it's something that you hear alone that might be verified together. But here together, they heard from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, so go after that with discernment. So he says, so the Holy Spirit said, set apart this particular task, function, appointment, that they were set apart, the two of them were set apart for something different, set apart for me. This is what's so great about breaking this down in small chunks, for me. Who is this about? Paul and Barnabas? Hey, you guys are awesome. We just want to affirm you. We want to applaud you. You guys are great. No, Paul's, what God is saying in this is, this is all about me. So set apart for me, my work in this world, right? This is all for Jesus, for our Lord, for his work. So set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. So he continues, for the work to which I have called them. For the work, work, uh, the Hebrew translation of that word means work, right? Get after it, like go to work, do something. A few years ago, I was teaching a sermon and at the church I was at, we had a Wednesday night Bible study and then I taught a Bible study to college students at 8.30. And so I'd written the same sermon, but they're a bit different environments. So you had to write them a little bit different, different illustrations, you know, 20 year olds and 50, like median age 50, right? And so it's just a different, different environment. And so, um, uh, so the, the, the first sermon I titled, it was uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. First sermon I titled, uh, Moved by the Gospel. Right, very pleasant way to say that. Moved by the Gospel. And um, I used these chairs to illustrate how we, we've got to work. We've got to go after it. The Gospel motivates us to get busy for our king, to get busy for his kingdom. When I preached to the college students, I said, just do something for Jesus, right? That was my title for the college students. It was very plain. Just do something, anything. Stop sitting around. Get busy moving for the great glory of our king. 
And instead of a stool, I kicked a chair over and I said, stop sitting down. Get up. Move. The Christian life isn't about sitting in a seat and listening. It's about receiving and moving and doing. Amen? Anybody with me today? All right. So in in this, right, right, set apart for the work, the task of importance, urgency, and they felt this was an urgent work that they must be a part of in their time. Just so we're clear, today, there is no less urgency in the work of the gospel than there was that day. For the work to which I have called them, again, the Holy Spirit is the one who sets the plans of the church and the people. This is not about doing what we want. It's about doing what he wills. So in this, what we see is kind of maybe two different things to bring clarity. So there's a specific calling for Paul and Barnabas in this passage. But there's also a general calling. And I believe for all of us in this room, God has a general calling and a specific calling. So a, a general calling is this. This is prayer, pro- proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, worshiping, caring for the pro- poor and the hurting, living my life as a Christian. This is general. This is every person in this room who claims Jesus. There is a baseline of activity that God has called each and every one of us to each and every day of our lives. <laughs> There's a story of D.L. Moody. Um, D.L. Moody was um, at this conference and a lady came up to him and she says, I don't like the way you do evangelism. And he said, well, then tell me how you do evangelism. She goes, well, I don't. He goes, I sure like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't, right? It's <clears throat> a good, good line. Um, see, there's a general calling in which all of us have been called to do this greater work. But there's a specific calling. And I believe that every person has a, a specific set of gifts, a specific calling that God has placed on their life. And through prayer, time in the word, Christian fellowship, a common discernment, that, that through these things, that the Holy Spirit can be heard in our lives. And we can speak words of activation into each other's lives to step into God's call for our lives. I think about this in this way. So there's a young man, his name's James Thomas Talbert. James Thomas Talbert is a guy that that was here at the North Canton Chapel, and about four years ago, five years ago, James and I were spending a lot of time together. We'd meet for breakfast once a week with a group of other guys, and we'd open God's Word, and we'd talk about it, and then James was living in Canton, and James had some experiences, right? So James is one night with his roommate at Dunkin' Donuts, and one of their neighbors was going to leave, and she said, hey, could you give me a ride home? And as I went out to the car... As I went out to the car, someone else pulled up, and she goes, um, and she became very timid. She says, I, I, can't, I can't go with you guys. I need to go over here. here. And she put her head down and went in, and he realized that that moment that she was controlled by the man in that car, and she was going to have to go to do certain things that evening that she didn't want to do. So James comes in my office in tears, and he goes, Ryan, what do we do? How do, how, do we, how do we step into this? This is, this is my neighbor. I, got no, I, I, didn't, I had no idea. And so James would spend another year in Canton digging into that work, getting connected with Rahab and work, beginning to work in Canton. And then James began in Akron. And then James grew up in Barberton. He went home to see his mom. And then he went home to see some things. And he was driving through Akron. And all of a sudden, God began to move in his heart. 
And James tells the story better than I'm going to right now, but he drives by a Swenson's and he drives by this and he drives by that and he drives by this. And all of a sudden, these people, there's, there's these places that were connected to people and these people had a heart, they had a soul and he began to be broken for these people and we began to pray and we began to talk and we began to meet and we began to say, God, I, I believe God's called me to plant a church in Akron, Ryan. And as he began to pray and as I was praying, as others were praying, we said, you know what, I, I think that's true. Because, see, I can't find in Scripture anywhere where it says, James Talbert shalt plant a church in Akron. It's not there. But there is a general call to the gospel and the good news going out. But there's a specific call on that guy's life to be a pastor in Akron, Ohio. And I believe God's going to do great and wonderful and terrific things with him. See, there's general calling and specific calling. And I... I say that with James, don't hear me. I, I believe that all of us have a calling like that. And as we begin to open our eyes, see the world around us, hear from the Holy Spirit of God in community with others, we will step into these greater things. They're willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. And then fourth, they were committed to the greater mission. They were committed to the greater mission. So then it continues it wasn't just, it didn't just stop there to which I've called them. So the Holy Spirit tells them to do this and they really haven't done it yet. And so then after fasting and praying, so they heard like the Holy Spirit say this, but they continued to fast and to pray. So they were still doing this. They were still, these weren't just, you know, a means into the end. They were regular practices of the Christian life. So they were fasting, they were praying, they were seeking the Lord, continuing to consecrate their hearts, continuing to listen. And then it says, then they laid their hands on them. And I believe that was literal. That's why we do this right down front. We invite people to come down. We lay hands on. They, they laid hands on them in affirmation of what God is doing, what he said, and sent them off. And so what we see is they all obeyed, right? The church in Antioch obeyed and Paul and Barnabas obeyed. Now, just so you know, when you send people out that are peculiar, and I, I remember this about James Talbert. I remember after he was gone about a year, and I, began, I went up and heard him preach, and I thought, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. He is a really good preacher, and it would be better if he was here with us than if he was up there, because if he preached to you, I'd have a lot more time off from up here, because you'd probably like him better than you like me. But I believe there's a principle in this in a church, right? You send out your very best. Whatever God says to do, you let go, and you trust him for the rest. They were committed to the greater mission, even at their own detriment. So then after fasting and praying, continued constantly, they laid hands, they literally did, and they sent him off. They all obeyed the church and the missionaries, the church and the called. See, God is always doing a new thing. And I believe that is true. Until Jesus returns, God is always going to be doing a new thing in this world. He's going to be calling us to new things all the time in our lives. God is not static. It is not about comfortability. It is about movement and moving forward with our own lives. So for us as a church and people, we must not remain static. We must not remain static and expiring, but always pushing forward to move the work ahead personally as a church together through personal disciplines, through hearing from the word, from hearing from the Lord. See, I, I believe that in our day, we, we, many people are talking about innovation. I do not believe that this is about innovation. 
but about discernment and obedience. And I believe when we go after the new things that God is asking of us and we discern them and we obey, we will always end in the places God wants. So in this, they're not just these kind of, these, these, <clears throat> not only just this culture that was there, but there were attributes. There were these attributes of the people that we can kind of pull out of this text. One, they were humble. They were humble. They did not see themselves more highly than they ought, but they saw God as he was on high to be listened to. They were selfless. The mission mattered more than they mattered, more than their church mattered. And so they didn't have a mentality of holding on, but they let go and trusted. And then to the second, to the third, they were, they were trusting. They had faith in God. They had faith in God, not in others, not in their, not in their church, but they believed that God was actually moving and working, and they trusted that rather than, than having an environment of skepticism. They trusted God. And I, I believe always in the church that you'll always see issues. You'll always see people that you have concerns with. You're always going to see things, right? If you live your life at all, we could all have a long conversation about people you are skeptical of in your life. Know anybody? Hopefully they're not the person sitting next to you, but that's the thing in life. We will have skepticism of all kinds of things. But I hope that we are not skeptical toward God because there's no reason to be skeptical to a God who loves us so extravagantly. They were trusting in God, knowing that they did not have to control, but they could trust God for the results in their life. Fourth, they were brave. They stepped forward with confidence and faith. And I think one of the ways they were brave, remember this happened to me a few years ago, as when, we were, when I was a college pastor, we had a goal of sending every student, in, within their four years, we wanted to send every student on a short-term or long-term mission trip. And so one summer, we'd kind of actually, we'd been praying for this, and it actually happened. Like, most of our college students that summer did one of those things. So we were constantly moving, going about, and all of a sudden, we, I began to get these references from these mission agencies that I had to fill out. And I began to sign for countries like the Sudan and other places. And I began to realize, oh, man, like, Kelsey could die if she goes there. I mean, she's going into a legitimate, like, war where there's, like, child soldiers and these crazy things that I can't, I don't even know how to think about them. I've never seen them before. So then I had to begin to contemplate is her dad, Mark, could I confidently say that Kelsey has been called to this place and she might lose her life for the sake of the gospel? See, I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, we think those are just like archaic ways of old. Those are actually real things today. Missionaries all over our world have died this year. Christians all over the world have been martyred for their faith today. Like, it happens daily in our world. So this church was brave. Read 2 Corinthians 10, 11. Read about the Apostle Paul and the hardship that is going to happen from this day forward and probably already has happened. I think it's thought that he's been beat up multiple times already even before his commissioning. He had lashings 
39 times on his back. So four times, 39 times. I said that wrong, 39 times, four times. You got it, you're with me, you're super smart. They were brave. And I believe for us as a church, for parents, we have to be brave because this mission is costly. Jesus said so. This isn't some sort of dime store faith. It's a faith that costs us everything. Maybe even our very own life. And Paul will say it like this later. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. They were brave. Fifth, I had to give two words because I couldn't quite figure out how to say it. Intensity and obedience were attributes that they had. They believed in the gravity. They believed in the gravity of the mission. They believed in the gravity of who God was. They, they believed in the gravity of the church's responsibility in this world. So they were willing to go without food, to fast, to hear from the Holy Spirit. They were willing to wake up early in mornings and pray for discernment. They were willing to live in a posture of worship, distinctly hearing from God so that they might move forward together. So in this passage, we see two two people, and I referenced this a little bit ago. There's the gift activated, and there's the gift activators. So Paul and Barnabas, they are the gift activated. They were called out. And then there's the gift activators, the church in Antioch. And notice this, that it does say at the beginning of this passage, now there were in the church at Antioch, right? We, we don't have specifics, we just have the church, meaning there is at the chapel in North Canton, right? This is us, all of us together. The church in Antioch, they sent out, they were the gift activators. And I believe that we each will participate in both at being activated and being activators when we commit our life to truly being hero makers, disciple makers with our lives. We each will participate in both. And if we are an obedient Christian of long standing, we will see this happen over and over again in our life. And say that again, if we're a Christian of long standing, so what do you mean by long standing? I would say if you're a Christian for over two years, that these are things that we ought to see in our lives. Gift activation and being a gift activator. And so how does that work out? What works out like this is we observe and as we watch, sometimes it's simply an affirming as, hey, Bill, when I watch you do this and this and this, I see this in you. I think we had a whole series, a whole one like two weeks ago about this. I see this in you. Let's begin to meet with some people. Let's begin to work toward this end because I believe that God is calling you to something in your life. And what would happen in that scenario is there's someone who talked to Bill that began the gift activation process. And Bill, somewhere along the line, had to say, I am willing to be activated toward the greater purposes of God for my life. I believe that all of us, if we are Christians of any long standing, will experience this in our lives. So activating your gifts, how do we do this? Well, I think first we must believe in God, not yourself right? Believe in God, not yourself. This is not, and if you want to go to a self-help church, you are at the wrong one. That's not what we do here. 
Believe in God, right? Believe in God, not yourself. This is about God activating that which he has put in you to achieve with your life. This is about his work. This is about his empowerment. This is about God. Going, he's going to tell you that you are going to go do something that you cannot do. But if you trust in him, if you rely on him, if you rely on the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you will achieve it. And when you're done, you will say all praise and glory to God because I don't know what just happened. He did it. And if it is about you, then when you get done, you'll go, man, I'm awesome. Look at that great work I did. Praise and glory to me. Right? Believe in God, not yourself. This is what we call faith. Trusting in him to do that which which only he can do. Second, grow in that which matters. Grow in that which matters. I'll say it in this way, two things, truth and action. Truth and action. You can say it like this, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. And so truth, every time we read a passage of scripture this morning, bad news for you is if you've heard this word this morning and received it, you bear responsibility. Every time we hear God's word, right? James, it says, right, don't, don't just be doers of the word, right? That we must act upon that which we hear, meaning that every Sunday morning, I heap responsibility, or better, God heaps responsibility on us to obey and to respond to his truth and his word and his scriptures. And so truth, that we receive truth from God, and because we believe it's true, we, we act upon it. We, we begin to move forward. Now, what that means, truth in action, is there's going to be some honesty of places I'm not. There's going to be some pain of things that I need to change. And there's going to be humility, understanding that I am straight up a work in process. And I need to just simply embrace that with my life. And I need to grow in that which matters, truth and action. Third, Pursue clarity with others. Pursue clarity with others. You are not alone. I hope you hear this as good news today, that we are, we are, we are made for community. We are made for one another to, to know each other and to, to walk with God together. And we can pursue clarity with others. And one of the stark truths of this text is this community wasn't just Paul and Barnabas going, hey, could we get some cash to go to Cyprus because we feel like we're going to be missionaries? That wasn't what they said, was it? They said, man, maybe we don't have the full conversation. Paul and Barnabas may have come up early, but it doesn't, I don't think they did. I think the church was saying, hey, we, we believe this is happening. Paul and Barnabas, I think somewhere in this said, we agree with that. And they continue to pray and fast. And they begin to move toward those things together. We don't do that alone. And we need clarity with one another. We need clarity with one another. One of my greatest joys and what I get to do is I get to sit across the table with a lot of people that are saying, I feel like God's calling me to this. What do you think? Sometimes I say, I don't know. Let's pray about it. Let's continue to meet. Let's develop a plan. Let's see how we can move toward it. Sometimes I say, absolutely right on. I, I agree with that. Let's get some other people in this conversation to help you get to where God would have you to be but we need to pursue clarity with others. And then fourth, we need to step forward and be known, right? Step forward and be known. 
This is not, right? We, we live in such an individualistic society that we keep all this stuff to ourselves and it sort of stirs within. I believe in this room right now, there's all kinds of people that are sitting, they felt a calling on their life, they felt God nudging them to something, but they just go, no, not me. I'm, I'm too rotten for that. I'm not able to do that. I'm not educated enough to do that. And we just kind of push down that calling of God on our life and sort of the self-deprecation holiness. But instead of pushing it down, I believe we need to kind of let it come up. And we need to step forward and be known and have a conversation with someone that can help us discern and walk through that which God would have us to do. Step forward and be known. Without it, we will never step forward with others together. So this morning, the simple commitment, simple commitment is this, I want, and that want is a really important word, I want, right, this isn't something I'm being pushed to, I want my gifts to be activated. I don't want to sit on that which God has given me, and I want to be a part of the activation of gifts in others. So this just isn't about my, my gifts and activation. This is about my gifts being activated and others' gifts being activated for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know where you are in that today, but I believe that this can be a desire, a commitment of moving toward, I want my gifts to be activated and I want to be a part of the activation of gifts in others. So here I'm making, again, maximizing my giftings to be used fully for the purposes of God. So this morning in response, maybe this is where you find yourself, is a place where, where your next step is something clearly God has called you to do, or your next step is to speak into someone's life, or your next step is I don't know what. But I do know this, is that gift activating requires faith. It requires faith for those who are helping those gifts to be activated, and it requires faith for those whose gifts are being activated. So first and foremost, your gifts cannot be activated if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never reach the fullness because your eyes are not open to see that which God has for you. And so if you do not know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, the scripture is clear that if you repent of your sins, recognize that you have rebelled from the ways of God and turn in faith to Jesus and place your confidence in what he has done through his death, burial, and resurrection to pay the penalty for your sin, you can be saved. And I would implore you today, if you, if you have never repented genuinely and turned in faith genuinely today to do that, if you have done that, maybe you're at a place in regards to gift activation that you don't know what God has for you. You don't know what it looks like to be an activator or activated, but you just say, I want to. That may be a response to the Lord this morning. This morning, maybe it's for you that you know exactly what God has called you to do, but you have been resisting it. I'd say especially for you, these altars are open for you to come, ask for forgiveness, and say, God, I'm in. And I, I, would not, I, would, I would lack humility today to say that's never been me. I have multiple times in my life rejected that which God was pressing me into. I am a bit strong-willed. And God has had to hit me pretty hard a few times 
to move me into the things that he has for me. Maybe for you this morning, you've, you haven't gone public. You're not resistant to it, but you've just kept it to yourself. You haven't gone public. You've never sought affirmation in God's calling in your life. And maybe this morning would be a commitment to say, I'm going to do that. Maybe that's by meeting with a pastor, meeting with close friends, maybe whatever it would be, but stepping in obedience to doing that. Or maybe for some, you are doing what God has called you to be. You are activated. You are an activator. And today, you just want to reconfirm your commitment to God, saying, I'm going to keep on doing this because I believe it's true and I believe it's right. I believe wherever God finds you today, what we can best do is respond into obedience to wherever we are to take our next step forward. So for some, your next step forward is a relationship with Jesus. And for others, it's some of those categories that we laid out this morning. But whatever it is, might we respond appropriately? Let's pray. Father, help us today to respond in obedience. Lord, I pray that you'd move us in this room. Move us to these altars, move us in prayer in our seats. That we would be a church in 2018 that resembles this core of this church way back in Antioch. Lord, might these ancient scriptures, this ancient church, Lord, might we reflect your ways that you have clearly showed us through your word. Lord, for the person who doesn't know you, give them strength and humility. Give them the brokenness needed to repent and turn in faith today. Lord, to those who have believed, help us to be honest with you and help us to be honest with one another and help us step forward to being the people you've made us to be. We give this time to you as as we respond. Move in our midst. Holy Spirit, fall. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you will, stand. We're going to sing a song together. And as we sing, these altars are open for response. You can respond right where you are. But might we not leave here today without responding to what God has said?